Hi, this is Peter Chotti of Creative Media, the venture where we're revolutionizing tech, legal, and business with our unique 360-degree approach. And I'm thrilled to be on Edge of NFT, the podcast that's equally trailblazing and showcasing top-notch Web3 projects with its 360 audio goodness. Keep listening. Hi, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode to learn how NFTs engender disintermediation between artists and their audiences and how our super smart guests can throw around cool vocab words like that. Plus, hear how skydiving inspires one leader in Web3 to explore new terrains on the outer edge of this planet's atmosphere. Finally, German intelligence is spying on Web3 through the intriguing world of the Dogs of BND NFT collection. All this and more on today's episode. And before we move on, don't forget that our Outer Edge LA event recently returned to LA March 20th to the 23rd, 2023. You can now catch up on all the discussions, presentations, and more by heading over to watch.outeredge.live and registering. It's just your email address. Then you'll have access to over 60 captivating conversations and performances. Binge watchers are welcome. Netflix, watch out. We'll see you inside. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's sponsored episode is part of a media partnership with today's guests, and that's Peter Chadi, the creative force behind Creative Media, a novel venture pioneering in media, music, entertainment, and tech advisory services. Navigating the crossroads of traditional and tech-driven media, Peter's global reputation is anchored in his unique expertise and his ability to fuse these two worlds seamlessly. His illustrious three-decade-long career is studded with high-stakes deals, leadership roles in trailblazing media tech companies, and strategic tenures in major studios. Spearheaded by Peter, Creative Media is not just another advisory firm. It's an innovative venture shaping the landscape of legal and business services in the media and tech spaces. Peter, welcome to Edge of NFT. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. By the way, what an introduction. I got to live up to it now. Yeah. Exactly. That's what a lot of our guests say. It's like, whoa, wow, that person, I got, yeah, that's, I'm feeling competitive now. Yeah. And by the way, for the listener at home, it's always fun to give them a sneak peek if we have an interesting background visually and you've got some guitars out there and it looks like you're a very musical person. So that's kind of a fun reason to check out the YouTube video and see where you're hanging out. Yeah. No, there's a lot of music in my world. That's for sure. Sounds like it. Yeah. I know a little bit of your background, Peter. We've known each other for a little while. And I was really excited to have you on the show because you look at the world of Web3 through an interesting filter with your music background, but also your legal background, really take a 360 degree approach through creative media to how you view the world. And I don't have a deep legal background. Ethan doesn't either. But you do. So let's sort of go into that. But first, just share with us how your unique venture was conceived and how you go about looking at this space that we call Web3. Yeah, no, very good. Listen again. Thanks for having me. So as you said, three decades, which is kind of insane at this point to even think about it that way. But I've worn just about every hat in the world of entertainment. I started off as an entertainment IP lawyer back in the day. And one of my early clients was NWA, which in an interesting twist of fate led me to my wife. So that's pretty wild that NWA led me to love. And then I went into the studios where I became more of a business guy. So I was at Universal and among other places. And I negotiated deals from like a dollar to multi-billion dollar joint ventures around the globe. Then I ran, I was a serial entrepreneur that was running tech forward media companies. So as CEO for a number of different companies, including one that was Spotify before Spotify, essentially. And we were acquired by Yahoo back in the day, but it was a company called Music Match. And it was we were on the cutting edge of streaming and we were amongst the first to actually create on-demand streaming. And then a couple other companies. And then for the past, I would say like 10 years, 
seven years on my own with Creative Media. I'm a deal maker, connector, external general counsel, and advisor, board member, you know, a lot of different kind of hats. And the reason why and what Creative Media really came out of was the fact that I have worn all these hats. So I understand technology pretty deeply because I ran technology companies that were always in the content world. So I understand I'm not a lawyer in the sense of being a non-operational guy. And I've found that like from Creative Media, the help I think for clients and just those who I advise is the fact that I can bring this 360 degree background together. Like I understand how entrepreneurs are when they're building companies. I've been there trying to raise capital. I've been there on the M&A side. And so I know what the ride is like, and hopefully I can help them be a problem solver. That's great. 360 is great. I mean, I think we have a little bit of that that edge of company as well, but it might take three people to get the 360 view. You got me, Jeff and Josh uh, (laughs) at the helm here. Well, you guys don't have three decades. You're younger than I am. Yeah. But at that point, we might actually have some sort of like beyond 360 multidimensional thing going on because there's even more domains at play. But yeah, totally get that. And the value of that, it's so rare for people to be cross-disciplinary. It's hard to calculate the value because it's it's so easy to get siloed within a specific domain. And it's even hard to succeed within a specific domain if you don't go too deep, right? So you're now doing things in NFTs, which is its own domain, which maybe benefits from the diversity of your experience. As you're navigating this and, and doing this with the people that you consult with and work with, What are the most significant legal developments and just general developments you're observing? Well, so first of all, I'm going to step back just a second, which is like the whole idea for, I think what you mentioned, kind of staying on top of everything, like no matter what role you play, it's so critical to stay on top of where technology is taking the business. Since I'm in media and entertainment and content and creators and audiences. So NFTs, to me, naturally, the ability to now, for the first time, really have a direct connection between the creator and their audience and create communities that way and taking out the middleman and actually have a mechanism to be able to do that. Before even the name NFTs, I believed in that idea. And so seeing it come to fruition through NFTs, whatever you call them now, digital tokens, because NFTs have almost gotten, as you guys know, in many, and I'll again in the entertainment community, kind of a bad name just because they've been mixed in with crypto and crypto winter and all that, which is fundamentally obviously not the same. And so there's that high level where the idea of direct connection is something that is just obvious, right? So the changes that I've seen since NFTs and what they represent on the legal side or on the business side, because business and legal go directly together, is that everything is happening in real time. And so this was really coming to light in the last couple of years in terms of content creators generating NFT opportunities. There were very few rules of the game and very few people who really understood them. So it was kind of the Wild West. Now, with any new technology, AI, whatever, you see the evolution of it where people are trying to figure it out And you have the early cases where there's a problem that comes up, then there's a kind of a janky solution (laughs) that courts or the litigation system comes up with. And then ultimately, there's a call for regulation. And then regulation is created by those who really don't understand what's happening, but they do the best, which creates more problems and disputes. So what I've seen is that I've seen that evolution, of course, in the Web3 space and with NFTs and the media business and all happening very fast. No matter what role you play in this world, you need to stay on top of this stuff because it impacts everything, how you create, how you market, how you sell. And in the last several months, I would say in the last six months in particular, there's been a hell of a lot of activity from the calls to regulation, where regulation is beginning to really pick up steam, but also some resolutions of some highly watched cases in the NFT space. So Andy Warhol will talk about that and how it impacts some of the other cases that I've been tracking. But 
that's the high level of this natural evolution of a new technology where people are trying to figure it out. And so the courts end up doing the best they can. And then everybody who's in the ecosystem looks at the clues that have been created and tries to mitigate the risks that they have as they go about it. It's a mantra. It's a good one to have. We're all doing the best we can with the resources that we have, right? And compassion. <laughs> That's right. But I think it's gotten a lot more difficult to keep pace legally and from a regulatory perspective with the pace of technology. I mean, look at what's happening with AI in terms of folks saying, wait, stop the presses, hold for it here. And if you've listened to any of the congressional testimony on AI, you realize there's a major educational sort of gap when it comes to sort of folks that are making these decisions and their relative knowledge of the domain. And that is sort of definitely the case with Web3 as well. And you have folks like Yatsu that spoke our event, chairman of Animoca Brands, that is all about the right regulation at the right time. But also, like, is that really what folks want at the regulatory side, right? Some of them don't want regulation because then it sort of legitimizes this industry. So first of all, you're so right about those who are trying to create the regulations. <laughs> so you look at the Senate and Congress and what the median age it makes me look like a very young man, right? And there is very little understanding and depth of that understanding for the world of Web3 and NFTs or AI. It does move too fast. It just does. And so it's the typical sort of conflict where there's a new technology that butts up against people trying to figure it out and being afraid of it. And then it just tries to work itself out the best they can by creating some general guardrails, but and then kind of bobbing and weaving, right? But in the Web3 space, there have been some real pronouncements, though, in the last few months that are significant, like some significant cases have come down that have made conclusions. And so conclusions that weren't there before. And if you guys are interested, I can mention a couple of them. But certainly then there is also the Supreme Court case that does impact the way that artists and creators in the Web3 world on either side, by the way, those who are content owners and creators and those who are creating other works that may be derived from or somehow built on top of them. So you mentioned that court Warhol case previously, right? I'm looking over it now and it's kind of, you've got a photo of Prince, which appears to be taken by someone else besides Andy Warhol and then an Andy Warhol print there, which is pretty much clearly just a few strokes different than the photo. If you have to translate something from photo to image, there's not much you can tell. One thing came from the other. Tell us about this and how is this related to NFTs? And tell us the listener about it a little bit more so they understand what's going on. Yeah, for sure. So in the Warhol case, as you mentioned, there was an original photograph and Andy Warhol did use that as the basis of creating a series of works based on prints. And although... It's a couple of brush strokes. It's very Warholian in its style. It's kind of like if Andy Warhol did the Campbell's soup cans, which were very literal depictions of it. You know, here you have Prince, and it's still a vi- one would typically say it was a transformed piece of work going from the photograph to the artwork. And so what happened was that Warhol work was put on the cover of Vanity Fair magazine after Prince's death because it was a collector's issue. And in that particular case, there was no permission sought by the underlying photographer of the work, only from the foundation that owned and retained the rights to Andy Warhol. So the photographer was not happy about that. (laughs) The photographer felt like it was stealing an opportunity for her, a commercial opportunity where if Warhol's work wasn't there, then maybe Vanity Fair would have licensed her and paid her to use her photograph. But Warhol's work disrupted that chain. Just to clarify now, is this something where it's it's very openly clear that these two things are connected and maybe Vanity Fair should have known that they should have cited the photo and they just didn't happen to? Or did it just come out in this whole thing that this it came from the photo? No, it was very clear. Like, and and actually what's interesting is that Vanity Fair 
or one of the publications in Condé Nast several years before that actually did license, did pay the photographer. But in this case, fast forward several years, didn't happen. It was probably a slip up, but whatever, it didn't happen. So when the photographer then went to seek some kind of compensation, then Vanity Fair said, and the foundation for Warhol said it was a fair use. This work that Warhol had created was a transformational use. And in the world of copyright, typically, if you create something on top of somebody else's, if you transform it, it's transformational. That's a term of art in the legal world. Then typically, it's found to be non-infringing as a fair use, right? Because you have transformed, you've created into something different. In this particular case, I think many were very surprised that the Supreme Court came down and said, no, even though this is Andy Warhol and he's famous for doing these kinds of works where that are built on top of things like the Campbell's Soup Can, things like that. What you did here is that you took this business opportunity for this photographer. So you competed with them with this photographer directly, essentially, to be on a magazine cover, you weren't paid and Warhol was paid. And so it was found to be an infringing use. And that was a very seminal case. I would disagree, by the way, just out of looking at it, you know, I mean, having something that says Warhol Prince is way different than having a photo of Prince. Like, it's just, yeah, that's my opinion. I'm not in the Supreme Court. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head that it is everybody's opinion, right? You can be on one side of the fence. What's really interesting about that Supreme Court case is that you have two of the most liberal justices who are on opposite sides of that decision. The, and who are never, Sotomayor and Kagan were on opposite sides. Sotomayor wrote for the majority. Kagan was on the opposite side. They're never separate from each other, ever, ever, ever. But what's so fascinating here was that Kagan was, just like you said, had the same kind of reaction, said, are you kidding me? What are you doing here? And so they were coming at each other in a way that was very surprising because of that. And the reason why it ties into NFTs is because there are a number of cases, and I alluded to them, where there is a NFT that's created that is based on something else that's owned or created by somebody else. And there's a infringement case that was brought against the person who created this work on this NFT that was on top of this other person's work. And there was a fair use defense. So I'll give you an example if you want one. So you may have heard of the Birkenbag case with Hermes and Rothschild. So Hermes, I'm not a Birkenbag guy, but for Hermes, the fashion brand, Birkenbags are a big deal. Apparently they're very expensive. So there's an artist, Mason Rothschild, who created what he called Meta Birkins, Meta Birkin bags. And they were these little digital bags that were part of in the metaverse. And he sold them. He created them. They looked just like little Birkin, physical Birkin bags, but they were little depictions of them. And Hermes sued Mason Rothschild saying that, can't do that. We're the creators of the Birkin bag. If we want to create NFTs on that, that should be up to us. That shouldn't be up to you. And Rothschild said, no, that's a fair use. I created something that was like a commentary on your Birkin bags. Like your Birkin bags are meant to be only for the privileged. My commentary is that it's no, it's available to everybody now. So it's a fair use. Well, interestingly, there was just finally a jury verdict against Mason Rothschild in Hermes's favor just, I think it was a couple months ago. So that was kicked out. And there was another one that was analogous to that, that was, again, against the NFT creator for similar reasons where there was a fair use that was claimed and the court had found that it was bogus, that all you were doing was trying to monetize the IP or the creativity of somebody else. It doesn't help that he called them Meta Birkins. Yeah. Yeah. No, it didn't help. <laughs> so interesting when you sort of break it down like that, how complex these things are and nuanced. And I remember early in this sort of Web3 boom, moderating a panel with four different lawyers on the metaverse. And I have to say, I don't think there is actual consensus on any one question that I asked the group around like, what happens when a company based in one country sells an item to someone in another country 
And that's co-created by people in three other countries. And it's a mashup of some other item. And, you know, AI was used to sort of create that mashup. Basically, you get chaos on wheels at that point in time right now. Well, listen, yeah. I mean, if you add the geographic elements of it, the different territories around the world, and there are over 200 of them, all have different rules of the game, then you've opened up something completely different. It really does get back to everybody thinks of the law as being black and white, but it isn't. It just isn't. And so there's subjectivity into all of these kinds of things. And that's why ultimately it's critical for everybody to follow this stuff closely because otherwise you're opening yourself up to a lot of risk. And so you want to be able to at least understand what the legal landscape and the business landscape is shaping into. And then you can make your decisions where if I do this, maybe it's a little bit more risky. If I do this, it's a little bit less risky, but that's such a critical part of being in any kind of business. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's just gears a little bit and talk about the intersection of Web3 NFTs in the entertainment industry, which has sort of created a lot of promise for these new artists, right? And by artists, we don't just mean digital or artists or painters or mixed-use materials like musicians, you name it. Could you kind of elaborate on what you think the opportunity is there this intersection presents and maybe how that opportunity has evolved as you've been looking at it over the last year or so? Yeah. I mentioned this a little bit earlier that I believed in the idea of NFTs for years and years and years. I wrote an article in Variety 12 years ago about the concept of beautiful thing about streaming is that it allows a direct connection between the audience and the musician, which kind of opens up a world where now it expands the audience and it's up to the artist to then take that expanded audience and find new ways to monetize. I just believed in that kind of concept. So in the entertainment world, I am tremendously bullish, always have been on what NFTs represent for the creative community. I think it's an amazing opportunity to disintermediate, take out the middle person. And now you have the creator and the audience that have a direct connection where your fans can support your work and they know that it's going directly to the creator and the creator can create the value that they want their fans to have. And it's this living, breathing organism that supports each other and each gets direct benefit out from it. That's the beauty of this direct connection that's enabled by what NFTs are. So the high level concept is that it's direct connection. It can create a real community around the artist, but also those community around those who appreciate the artist. So what does that mean? It really kind of means whatever the artist wants it to be. The beautiful thing about an NFT is the act of creating an NFT and the benefits that flow from that is an act of creation in and of itself. And so now through NFTs, you can, of course, create, let's say, a song. And if you're a member of the club, because that's the way I always tell people to think of it, you know, you pay admission to the club, this community through your NFT. If you're a member of that club, you have exclusive access now to that song or to that added benefit or to that meet and greet or to that special merchandise or to whatever you may want it to be as the creator. And we've thought of some things so far up to this point in the world of NFTs and artists, but it's a constantly evolving thing where, again, it's a creation to come up with what that package is. So I think that the opportunity for the creator to now monetize directly through their audience, give them benefits, and for the audience to feel special and connected with that, that's a great thing. Then, of course, NFTs can uniquely ensure that the creator gets an ongoing share of the value that's generated from their original work. So through secondary markets, now for the first time, you have the creator being able to get a share, a continuing share, anytime there's a resale that work. Well, you did, except Blur kind of changed that tune a little bit. Yep, they did. And OpenSea followed, right? And so I wrote about that. And that happened a couple months ago where a huge promise and something that really excited me in the entertainment world with NFTs was the fact that the creator for the first time would really benefit from ongoing secondary sales of their original work. So I'm a painter. 
I sell it to somebody. I sell it to you. And you're a collector. Well, for me, the artist, I'm done. That's all I get. I get my million dollars for selling you the painting. Then five years from now, you sell it for $5 million. You get that $4 million of excess value in it. But the original painter, me, I get nothing. Obviously, with NFTs and the secondary sales, where I get an ongoing share of that artist on and on, that was a huge promise of going into the NFT world. And now with OpenSea and Blur and changing the game, I think ultimately that will change back because it will have to, because that's such a fundamental value in terms of what NFTs can represent to the artist. There is one more part that I find to be really interesting, and that is we talked about like getting benefits and secondary sales, but there's... NFTs can also enable something that is a direct investment in financial participation with the artist in the work that they create. So I'm in the music catalog world too. I'm involved in a lot of big music catalog sales. Speaking of Prince, I was associated when Prince sold the music catalog and Devo and Boston and a number of others. That's a big part of my world. But that's a world that's only open to private equity money, really, for the most part. Billions of dollars institutions are the ones who are buying these music catalogs. Well, with NFTs, you have companies like Royal who are in the world of making music IP, so songs, catalogs, available to you and I to be able to get a piece of, right? So I can buy a small share in the intellectual property or the song itself, the composition, the master recording. And as it generates royalties over time, I get an economic participation in that. So I get a share of that ongoing money that's being generated by that. That's pretty exciting. So if I'm a super fan, NFTs for the first time allow me not only to do all the other stuff we talked about, like it's the cool factor. I get to invest in your songs. Like I get to have a piece of it and I can tell my friends about that. And as I tell my friends on all my social networks and whatever, that is amazing marketing. First of all, I get my bragging rights. Secondly, the artist gets the benefit from all that. And then thirdly, I get my economic benefit too. It's like an investment to me. So you get all of that. I love that. I think that's a huge opportunity and we're in the very early days. That's a fascinating example. And of course, you're a lawyer, right? And you're paying attention to IP and all this stuff. And I don't know that you necessarily plan to be a securities lawyer, but it seems like this is all playing such a huge role in things. To me, when I look at it, again, we're all doing the best at the resources that we have, right? It's really just become a demonstration of the nuances of all of this stuff, right? Whether people are breaking the law or not, I think we're ending up probably vilifying a lot of people that unfortunately might not need to be, but it's because of there's this, like, it's new and it's different and there's like sort of vagueness and there's things to be explored and there's certainly, you know, wrongdoing in a lot of cases as well. Any thoughts on like the sort of securities law side of things? How do you think about it? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Anytime there's a new technology, it goes back to what we were talking about. There's going to be those who are going to be grifters. You know, you're going to have pump and dump schemes and all that. But that doesn't take away from the underlying promise and a reality of what these things can be, but it takes time to evolve. So in the world of securities, because as I mentioned, when you buy a piece of something, like the song example, buying a piece of IP, that would be a security transaction. It would constitute that, right? So how do you solve that? Well, just because there's an issue of securities doesn't mean that that opportunity goes away, that business opportunity. It's up to the entrepreneurs out there, and I was one of them, to figure it out. And so those who are bold go to figure it out. They're not scared away by the fact that, oh, okay, there's securities issues. Well, hands off. Most people would be, but not all because they see the big opportunity. So what do they do? You have a company like Royal that raised, I don't know, I haven't checked for a while, but probably like $50 million. And they put blue chip, I've talked to these guys, they put blue chip lawyers on it and they are churning and burning to make sure that they're mitigating the risk. Nothing's risk-free. You're breaking new ground. And so there's going to be a risk in what you do, but they're mitigating the risk. They're doing it smartly. And so there's securities issues. They address them as best they can to mitigate risk. 
They talk to regulators out there. So they educate them that this is for everybody's benefit if it's done right. And then the opportunity ultimately is seized by those who are bold and who are smart about it, who went about it smartly. And you got to be working with top advisors, top lawyers, figure it out, top entrepreneurs, top teams. But just because there's securities issues doesn't mean that it's anything different than like when you're creating any other business. That's the philosophy. Some are going to be scared away because they're not entrepreneurs. Some won't be. Some grifters are out there, but there are going to be some good, legitimate people who understand this is a massive opportunity for investors and all the participants, the audiences in there. So go for it. Be the first movers. And the first movers who do it right will succeed greatly. But those who follow them and learn from them can also succeed. They just may not succeed to the same extent. Risk-reward ratio. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Yeah. Let's delve into AI a little bit more. It came up previously, and it does add some extra wrinkles to Web3 from a regulatory perspective. I know there's a lot of generative art being created using AI. I recently went to a symposium on AI with a major talent agency, and they were talking about the complications of mashups and how those mashups are often derived from other mashups and then folks are using AI. And where's that point where it becomes like transformative, as as you mentioned before, versus not transformative? How do you see sort of artists leveraging AI in their work? And what impact does that have on the industry? I work with artists all the time in different mediums, a lot of musicians, but not just. And you see the full gamut, as you can imagine. You see some artists like Grimes, who really embraces it and is a first mover, which is not surprising, given the fact that she's always been a very tech forward artist. And then you have others like I've known Alex Ebert, who's Edward Sharp of the Magnetic Zeros. You know, that's Alex. He's this really smart, savvy guy and great artist. And he's like horrified by what AI represents. Right. So you have the gamut. So I believe that AI presents a real risk to jobs in the entertainment community, like any new technology does. When Pixar hit the scene, it changed animation forever, you know, hand drawing and all that. So you lost a lot of jobs that way, but it created a whole new world. It was seen as a different kind of tool. So we see that happening with AI, but at a very different pace. AI is moving so fast. I think fundamentally on the copyright side, there's a big case right now, Getty Images, it's against stability AI, I think. One of the, you know, the big visual AI generative companies. And it's about how AI is training on all of these Getty images that are out there, training its large language model and copyright infringement case. And so it gets to your point. Well, okay, let's say you're scraping and training off millions of images out there and a new image is created. Is that really a copyright infringement when it's such a micro infringement? These are questions that how do you answer them, right? So you have the Getty Images kind of case. That's a huge case out there right now. Everybody should know about it. People are tracking it. And that's when it's just like there's AI scraping publicly available stuff out there that much of which is copyrighted. And many in the entertainment community would say that's an infringement. But then you have... Like I said, you have certain artists who have embraced AI and seen it as more of a tool. And so what they do, rather than just allowing the world to kind of figure it out that way, they make their creative works available to their fans and to the community out there to do what they want with it. Like, go ahead, play with my songs, play with my music cues. You can even use my voice, but give me a share. Like if you use it and it generates some money out there, then I get 50% of it. And that's what Grimes is doing. So Grimes created, I think it's called Elf.Tech, but she created her own generative AI platform where you have the right to use her songs and her voice to create new songs, including one she just called a masterpiece. (laughs) And so long as she gets paid 50% from that. And you can imagine how NFTs come into play to really enable that kind of payment, right? That sort of mechanism. So you have that kind of thing where like one artist embraces it, Peter Gabriel's another one who's talked about it a lot. And then some who are horrified by it. But this is what I tell people all the time with new technology. You may be horrified, but 
that doesn't help you. This is the world we're in. You have to accept it. So what are you going to do about it? It's not going to go away. You can't regulate it away. It's not going to be regulated away. And nor do you want it to be regulated away, but you need to educate yourself, really understand it, play with it, experiment with it, and try to find a way like Grimes did to use it, to use it to your advantage. And I want to give you one other approach. There's the like Getty Images against Stability AI that was scraping this entire body of work on the internet. There's another company that I think is really cool called Lore Machine, L-O-R-E Machine. And they're based out of Los Angeles. Really smart people coming out of the creative community. And what they do is they enable people to create visual landscapes around stories. So you can take a script that's sitting on the shelf and collecting dust. And now through AI, you can create a new work that's a visual story, a storyscape, they call it, that's based on that work that otherwise is sitting on the shelf. And the visuals that they use are artists that they license. So all the visuals that are scraped to create those works are via artists who are participating and they get their own share. So these visual artists, graphic artists, they choose to be part of this community and they are happy for their work to be created and scraped in this kind of way because they get to get a economic benefit that comes from it. So I think that's a really interesting approach too, where it's an opt-in system rather than, hey, we're just taking your stuff. Yeah, totally. Let me um, add one more example of an artist that's embracing it, and that's Will I Am. He has a new company, FYI.FYI. And basically, this FYI.AI is your creative co-pilot to draft stories, song lyrics, product descriptions, any written content. And basically, Riff, it's kind of like your co-pilot, if you will. He's so sort of like bullish on just sort of accepting AI and using it that he actually is sort of advocating for starting a new likeness and essence industry, which will give you something else to talk about, Peter. Yeah. I mean, look... I've been doing this for a long time, as we said. It never gets old. It's fun. Like, it's exciting stuff. If you look at it that way, there's, for artists again, because I write a lot about this from the artist perspective, it's a new palette. It doesn't take away from the palette you already have. So like for Grimes, let's go back there because it's a concrete example. Just because you can now have millions of fans creating millions of more songs that are flooding the market with her voice on it. That doesn't mean that the audience for Grimes fans goes away. In fact, it's great marketing for her. And I think it raises the value of the true original Grimes works. Like it elevates humanity in a way. That's the way I look at it. So rather than seeing it as a negative, it's kind of like the AI is underscoring the unique humanity that comes with creativity. And I believe that human creativity can never be replicated by something that's artificial. Like an AI may be able to do this interview with you, but it wouldn't have determined exactly what this next word will be. Now, it may be a better interview (laughs) without me there, but you know what I mean? I don't say that, Peter. (laughs) you got to keep it real (laughs) well there's patterns when you watch the way the world works you know over the several decades right you see patterns here and and there's one that you're highlighting whenever these new technologies come on board there's always this place where something happens people get disrupted you get all freaked out and then somebody turns its head and makes it an advantage when we saw it with the case of music being shared you know and there was a famous case of Metallica, like punishing their fans for sharing the music freely. And then all of a sudden there came this movement that was, well, no, look, if you share it freely, it's actually going to come back to you in a positive way. But yeah, I don't know. We have to be careful with it too, because I see now I had a great conversation. I think it was on, on stage at Outer Edge LA when we were talking with the music and sort of creative artists and industry panel. People listen to Spotify nowadays. They don't even hardly listen to artists, right? It's like, oh, you walk into a shop and you say, hey, I like that music that you're playing. You know, it's really great. Who is this? It's Spotify. No, it's not. <laughs> it's a band that actually made that music and they put their heart and soul into it. And it's Spotify. 
But I want to say a couple of things of what you just said. So like, I remember the Metallica thing really, really well. And I, look, I'm very artist first and they were slammed. They were attacked and vilified for just saying, Hey guys, that's my music. That's my livelihood. I understood that. Like I really did. Economics changed. Your bigger point though, of people being in fear of new technology, especially people in the entertainment media business who don't really, I don't know if it's left brain or right brain, the creative brain, whatever, but one of those brains don't understand, truly don't understand technology. And so there's a natural fear because it does, it does like the writer's guild is striking right now. They are right to have trepidation over what AI could do to their livelihoods. They are right to feel that way. Like, again, I write about that, but that's not enough. You got to act. And they are acting. They struck. They're striking right now to put some rules of the game down. So I think that the technology, but you got to take action. They're taking action. You have to learn about it. Don't just talk about it. Really experiment with it. Play with stability. Act. Play with this stuff. And then one last thing on your Spotify point, because it's a really good one. The great thing is, if you do it right, you don't need to have millions of fans. You don't have to, to be able to have a career. You can be a working artist and there's the whole rule of 1000 super fans. And now with NFTs, if you can create a direct connection, you have a thousand super fans and they each decide to support you a hundred dollars a year. Then what is that? A hundred thousand dollars, right? A hundred thousand dollars. So NFTs are exciting and the technology enables things that weren't enabled before. And so the overall, like the way people make a living changes dramatically, but there, it also opens up new possibilities. You have questions about blockchain? Like how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. All right. Well, that's a great phrase to end on. Opens up new possibilities. We're going to go on to the Edge Click Hitter segment. That should be a song. That should be a song. <laughs> Could be. We don't know that that's the title of the song because we're just a passing song on Spotify. But anyway, <laughs> going on to Edge Quick Hitters, that, that's going to be really fun with you, Peter. I'm sure it's a fun, quick way to get to know you a little bit better. 10 quick questions. We're just looking for a short or a few word response, but we can feel free to expand if we get the urge. Are you ready? I am ready. He's a ready. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Football cards. That's what I remember as a young lad. All right, cool. Makes sense. Question number two, what is the first thing you ever remember selling in your life? Consulting services. No? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I saw as a little kid, I was one of those terrors in the neighborhood. I'd go knocking on everybody's doors and every day I'd be selling something else. Seriously. Like I created a bakery with a neighbor of mine where we sold like vanilla wafers and we stacked them on top and we'd say, okay, a quarter for these. I went to a local radio station and I was selling ad. I was probably like eight years old. And I said, I got advertising. I can advertise your radio station and create little signs and pound them into the telephone poles. Like that's just the way I was born. And I sold everything and I scared the hell out of neighbors. They're like this guy again. Now, did you get the door-to-door -door sales idea from like selling chocolate bars or something for the school or the Boy Scouts? And you're like, hey, I could turn this into my own business. Exactly. There was back in the day, there was this crappy little newspaper that, Kids were there to sell. 
And then we had the chocolate bars and we had all that stuff that we sold. Yeah. Fun stuff. All right. Next question. Once you hit it, Josh. Yes, sir. What is the most recent thing you purchased? The most like significant recent thing I purchased is skydiving. So a couple of weeks ago, I went skydiving for a big birthday and it kind of is more indicative of the things I like to spend my money on, which is experiences. But that was the last like real experience that I bought. Nice. I won't be joining you on that adventure. I'll join you. <laughs> yeah. I had a skydiving, hot air balloons, trips under the sea. No, thanks. Bungee cord jumping. I wouldn't do that. But skydiving, I'll tell you just one quick thing about skydiving. I'm not great with heights. I had no idea how I'd react, but you're so high up. It's all like, doesn't seem real. I had no fear. Interesting. Yeah. It's almost existential experience. I just have to say this. I'm sorry. It's worth mentioning. It's funny. This YouTube channel, I've only seen it a few times, but there's this guy that like, I forget exactly what the theme of the show is. I think it's people pretending to be other people. No, he gets doppelgangers for some reason. He's got like a business where they get doppelgangers for you, for yourself, for an individual, like people, like I could find somebody that looks like me to do something. And so this guy's girlfriend really wants him to go skydiving with her. And like, she just doesn't want to do it. So they actually hire a guy that looks like the boyfriend to like get dressed up in the suit and kind of hide like all of the details to go skydiving with the girlfriend so that like you can salvage the relationship without going skydiving. And it actually works. <laughs> That's not a very close relationship. If that out. That's pretty funny. Pretty funny stuff. It's creative. All right, Peter, next question. What is the most recent thing you sold? Yeah, this isn't that exciting. Most recent thing I sold is an experience, which is a new client. All right. Hey, uh, you know, probably exciting for them. Going to help them move, move whatever they're doing forward a little bit more. Let's hope. Sounds great. All right. Question number five. What's your most prized possession? Well, possession, I don't know if it's the right word, but I'm a huge family guy. So like for me, everything that I do is about my family. You know, it's all for that. So I would say my most prized are family and experiences. And it gets back to like, what do I spend my money on? I spend my money on experiences. And then when you say family, how big is that? Is that like your little family? Is that all the cousins? You have like the big family party with a thousand people at it and the picnic thing. What constitutes your family? Yeah, our family is kind of our core, like the core squad of my wife and two kids and two dogs. We have an expanded family like that was just coming for a reunion. But yeah, like it's my immediate the squad, the squad. Yeah, the Chotty crew. Love it. All right. Question number six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service or experience that is currently for sale, what would it be? I don't know if it's currently for sale, but I would like to think everything has a price. I would say I would buy the chance to put on a reunion of Pink Floyd. Uh-oh. Ding, 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 ding. You're a little bit too close to home here. We've had Scott Page as a guest on the show. He's saxophone player, Pink Floyd, and He's one of our biggest fans, self-proclaimed. So ah, I'll say any place in the wisdom. Yeah, you may have a shortcut here. Or you may. Do you know him as well? I don't know. I do not know him. Okay, we'll have to make an introduction. Yeah. Awesome. Good guy. Very big believer in the potential of Web3. He's been a disruptor his whole career. So we love Scott. All right, Peter, if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? I would say just passion slash curiosity. It never gets old. It's fun. Yeah. We'll have to ask AI, what is the word for the mix of passion and curiosity? At least if it's not in English language, there's a word for it in some other language. Or maybe some could call it manic. I don't know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, Peter. I was going to give you the benefit of the doubt on that one. AI has produced a definitive answer, zeal. Zeal. Okay. All right. Zeal, powerful four-letter word. All right. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would it be? I have too many to say one, but I'll throw one out there. It's kind of a mixed bag, but intensity, I'm really intense. So I think that the engine runs hot. Yeah. So what does your wife do to like cool down the engine? Thank God. She's just like this. She's steady. And yeah, look, it's anything you can turn a too much of a positive, I guess, could be a negative and vice versa, right? So it's finding the right balance. I appreciate that. My girlfriend's definitely my 
sort of steady uh, sort of rock when it comes to sort of how things rub off on her. I mean, has a marriage and family therapy background, so she's heard it all, seen it all, and I think that gives her some valuable perspective. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, all Josh has is an Edge of NFT podcast video background. I'm sorry, that was a weird joke. I don't know. <laughs> Question number nine. Okay. <laughs> all right. For those watching on YouTube, that's a kind of check out the video background. All right. Next question. Number nine. What is it that you did just before joining us on the podcast? I had a great little tri-tip lunch while I was watching the latest of what Putin had done this weekend. That was my little pre-podcast break. Sounds like something that happens in this decade for sure. All right. Next question. Final potential question. What are you going to do next after the podcast? Oh, I'm going outside right after. You guys are in Los Angeles, right? We are sort of. Okay, so I'm typically in Chicago. I have to be in San Francisco right now. And Josh lives in Los Angeles himself. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So I live in San Diego. And as Josh knows, the last six months, we've had terrible weather in Southern California where we literally have not seen sunshine. So the last few days have been the first days of it where it's like beautiful, gorgeous days again. And I know I sound like I'm whining. I understand that. But I'm going to go outside and enjoy it. Sounds great. Here we go. Beautiful. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe, it's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. On to the next segment. Hot topics. I think we got a little bit of time for this. Should be fun with you, Peter. Such a knowledgeable fellow. Hot topic number one, FC Barcelona, World of Women Reveal Empowerment Soccer NFT Auction. So the Spanish soccer giant, FC Barcelona, they have teamed up with WOW for the second release of the club's 10-part Masterpieces Collection, which artistically spotlights the achievements of iconic players, past and present. It's titled Empowerment. The digital artwork created by artist Re Madeline celebrates women's club captain Alexia Puteas and symbolizes transformation and a catalyst for progress, according to the club. It's so fascinating to see these brands that are very kind of just central to Web3, kind of have their own community, their own movement going on, establishing these relationships with other brands sort of in some ways totally distinct or you, you see things happening between the Bored Apes and other brands. And it's so fascinating to see how large they can grow and what partnerships they choose to create. Yeah, we just released a video on YouTube with Shen Snow. I think she's the CMO of World of Women. I've got to say, I'm impressed with the direction they're taking to balance that really tight 
I guess, tight wire when it comes to not alienating their very traditional sort of Web3 community, broadening that community, and then finding the right brand partnerships that elevate their ethos and sort of support broad adoption. This is an example of one of those that lands for me in a positive way. It kind of gets back to some of the themes. First of all, big brands experimenting, right? With new opportunities, new ways to build communities. So this is yet another way. And then if you're cross-pollinating with another brand and you have a chance to take those various circles and connect them, then you're accelerating the growth that you have. And then you can also create perhaps like a combined bundle or package of value, you know, that you sell together. And I think that that's interesting. But I think that all brands, you've seen Nike has been such a successful fashion brand in the whole world of NFTs, selling over $200 million worth of NFTs, Starbucks doing their rewards program with NFTs and all that. So like, yeah, I think that what you said makes a lot of sense. One other thing is the passion that comes from, when you think about NFTs, you think about passionate communities because passionate communities can be monetized, right? Like they're hungry to, to support what they love. So musicians are one area where like, if you're a super fan of Grimes, you're going to support whatever Grimes does. Same with sports teams. So Barcelona, you know, you have a passionate fan base and they're going to, uh, here's another way for them to get like excited about doing something. And I think sports teams are a natural. It certainly makes sense seeing that we've had seen action in both of the different spaces for sure. For me, I've never been like a huge sports card collector. I did do remember having like basketball cards and like garbage pail kids. I remember that particularly those were like fun as a kid. But it's been a while since I was into it. So these ones are interesting to watch. All right. Next story. Let's check it out. German intelligence agency releases NFT collection to recruit talent. I don't know if that was like a good German accent or not. I did my best. So the agency, ooh, this will be fun to say, Bundesnachrichtendienst, something like that, has released a non-fungible token collection to recruit talent through a gamified blockchain treasure hunt. The agency released Dogs of BND, which is a better, easier way to say what I tried to say. Earlier this month, a collection of 999 generative dog-themed profile pictures donning cybersecurity-themed wearables. The NFTs can only be acquired by completing a cyber quest and locating a hidden string of characters in order to mint into the collection. Very interesting. I mean, at first it sounded kind of strange, but it all seems to fit into like what will be the next era of espionage, cybersecurity, all these type of things. It's in the digital world, right? And there's digital ownership at play and it makes sense to attract people that are interested and intrigued by all this, I suppose. Yeah, I think what you just said, the attracting people that are intrigued and interested, I think probably first and foremost, I would imagine that's what it is. It's a great marketing play. Just like you have your Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, you know, those famous commercials that are really exciting. And that gets the whole point of that is to attract a new audience to come and check you out in recruitment. Same kind of thing here that they're looking for that kind of tech savvy sort of person. And they know that now they have a new way to enter the conversation for that kind of an audience and bring them in and recruit them. So I think it makes sense to experiment. Yeah, I think it's pretty clever and it allows them to sort of find people in the Web3 community that can help with an important an issue, which is sort of cyber crime and sort of hacking and all those things. So yeah, this one's a winner for me too. It's an authentic sort of entry into the space and I'm sure they'll get some intriguing folks sort of open to having conversations with them based on this type of campaign. Of course, there's always this sort of streak of independence in the Web3 community in terms of not your typical folks that would be interested in working with the government, federales, but I'm sure there's some that sort of toe both sides of the fence. I've met many of those people in the space over the last few years. You know, it'd be interesting though, and I don't know enough about this particular one, but on your last point to address that, if there's a way that there's an incentive, an economic incentive too, 
So you're recruiting this person, but they have an ability, they've created something that can then be available commercially and they get some kind of economic benefit. I think if that was part of the package, I could see that as being turning it from just a government thing to something that's, okay, I can make some cash on this thing. Yeah. I mean, the way you're speaking about it, it vaguely reminds me of, there's kind of like a Navy SEAL culture that you see out there in popular media where being a Navy SEAL is not just now an honor in and of itself. It is a bit of a ticket to other forms of profitability, right? You could write a book or have a podcast or become a consultant or all these different things. And I think then in a sense, that's kind of, for example, you didn't become a Navy SEAL, but you passed a lot of the tests to become one almost. That's almost a credential in and of itself, right? And I think in this case, it's the same thing. If you could find, sort of answer the quiz and solve the maze and all this stuff to get to at least a certain level with this, there's a certain level of prestige attached, right? Yeah, bragging rights, sure. All right, I think that's enough for our hot topics of the day. Let's go on to our next segment. And what we'd like to do next is a shout out. So Peter, I understand you have a bit of a surprise shout out for us today. Uh, Who would you like to call some attention to? Okay, so I'm a sentimental guy. So I'll say my shout out is going to be to my wife and two kids and my daughter. I'm so proud of her. She just has a new place that she got in West Hollywood. We moved her in this weekend. She got her first job. She's working at WME. So Hunter, congratulations to you. Did that all on her own. I love that. My son's at NYU Film School in his third year. He just went back to New York City. He's on a shoot right now, a music video shoot. So I'm proud of. And then for my wife, who's amazing. So shout out to her and all the stuff she does. And then I'm going to throw out a shout out to one of my favorite bands that you'll probably know or may not know, but they're just amazing and they're great poets and artists. Not huge, but not small. Manchester Orchestra, amazing band beautiful songs, but also hard rocking songs. They kind of do it all. Beautiful. I love that. Very tastefully sentimental. I love NYU. It's one of my favorite schools. I love that Washington Square Park. Go If you go to Superworld, which is like the NFT overlay on the real world, you can kind of buy properties. I own the little plot of land above the Washington Square Park arc, you know? <laughs> ah, good for you. NYU owns a sh- a ton of property, man. Oh yeah. It's a great spot. It's great university, great education, all kinds of good stuff. I'm glad you say that because it's ridiculously expensive. It is a bit expensive. It's a bit pricey, but you know what? You love your child and you're showing it. (laughs) All right. The next thing to do is just kind of wrap everything out before we officially do that. We want to know where listeners can go to learn more about you and the project you're working on. Okay. So you can go to creative media.biz, B-I-Z. Creativemedia.biz is my company. You can also follow me on Twitter at P Chatty. That's P as in Peter, C-S-A-T-H-Y. And then I have a regular weekly column in The Wrap, which is a media publication. And so you can look it up, The Wrap, T-H-E-W-R-A-P, Peter Chatty. And I write a lot about Web3, a lot about AI. It's all in the world of media, entertainment, and content. So I think you'll actually find it to be vaguely interesting, if nothing else. If you have nothing else to do, there's content there. So those are a couple of places. Awesome. I like your newsletter, Peter. I subscribe. I'm a fan. I know you subscribe to ours. I'm a fan. And thank you for pointing that out because, yes, I do have an NFT and AI newsletter that's called the AI and NFT newsletter. And I forgot what the URL is, but... If you just search my name and AI NFT newsletter, you'll find it. But thanks for that shout out. I appreciate that. Perfect. Yeah. And I will respell your last name just because it doesn't sound like it looks on paper. C-S-A-T-H-Y. Go check them out. You are actually also contributing to a generous giveaway with us in addition to kind of being a partner for us and kind of helping us create this wonderful episode. So it's free 30-minute legal and business consultation. And we will let people know out on the Twitters how to participate in acquiring that wonderful offering. Thank you. Yeah, happy to do it. Right back at you guys for the content you guys put out. It's important to get the latest and greatest from people who know what they're talking about. And it's interesting, it's compelling, and it gets back to educating yourself and keeping up to date. No matter what you do in the business, is fundamental. It's critical. Thank you so much. 
All right. Well, we have reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thank you to everyone for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. Invite your friends, recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now. Rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. This episode was brought to you by today's guest and sponsor. The creators of Edge of NFT will be compensated to support the production costs associated with the program. We are very selective with deciding who to have on these shows, but we are learning as we go just like you. The views expressed are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and are not intended to serve as an endorsement or investment advice. You are urged to do your own research as well as consult a reputable financial advisor before making any investment or purchase decisions.